Welcome aboard episode five of Riding the Bus, the official I Am Wild podcast presented by Explore Minnesota is coming your way. Ben Gislason, Joey Goldstein. Joey, nice to not have to catch up so much here in the opening of this episode like we did last week. Hopefully fans didn't think the Nate Prosser episode was too long. I know you and I got really long-winded on the mm-hmm. front end of the back end. Should be a little quicker here getting into our guest Haley Moore. I know we talked about Matt Boldy last week as someone we, we wanted to have on and we're going to have on. Uh, we are going to have to ask for some forgiveness on this one. Um, we promised we weren't lying to you because we really at the time we had the interview scheduled. Mm-hmm. I ended up having to stay up in Minnesota a day later than I thought uh, to do this uh, this stream for the three-on-three tournament, so that got in the way a little bit, um, but nonetheless, we, we, we've been waiting on this Haley Moore interview, so we're excited that we got to do that this week, but for starters, obviously want to say hello. Things are casual today between yep. you and I. We, we both had busy days, and, and, and for me, travel, for you, a nice nap that you had this afternoon I coming did. in here, So, yeah. uh, but we're looking forward to doing episode five and, of course, uh, presenting our fans with plenty more, uh, not only from Haley Moore and our guest, but talking about some updates, too, with the Iowa Wild and, of course, the Minnesota Wild. Free agencies happened. Uh, it's been a busy, busy week with that last week, but um, what's going on today for you? Uh, not a ton. Yeah, we hope. Yeah, last week's episode wasn't too long. I don't, I mean, it was your well thought out, in depth Kardashian wrap up mm. had something to do with that for sure. I think that was about uh, 23 minutes. Yeah, it was. It was as long as the as show the was. That's, th- that's <laughs> thorough, right? That's thorough. Uh, talked a little bit with some people in the office. They said they could see you sitting there taking notes throughout the episode. They, I was. Everybody thinks you really enjoyed it, which I'm sure you did. But yeah, we hope you, we hope you listened in and, and, Follow through the whole thing. It was a good episode. It's just longer than some of the usual ones. But yeah, I'm good today. Uh, like the little jab that we both had busy days, and then I took a nap. So thanks for that. I <laughs> uh, appreciate that. It's, you know, it's half day Fridays for us here in the office. Mm-hmm. So uh, I got the dog at daycare. So it's really my chance to just get caught up on, on some sleep. So it was nice. I enjoyed it. I woke up with a ridiculous text from you that I didn't know what it meant. So we had to talk that out <laughs> when you got in about a hot dog eating contest, which maybe we'll get into down the line. I don't know. But yeah, other than that, we are we're golden. We're cooking. We got some exciting things happening uh, in the coming weeks here, with you know getting ready for the schedule to be released and whatnot. So hopefully, maybe next time we talk, maybe not till the time after that, we'll probably be able to dive into that and break things down a little bit for everybody. Exciting times for sure. I, I feel like the development camp uh, up in up in St. Paul every year that. And I haven't been here that long, but it does feel like that's going to be moving forward as the years compound here, hopefully with, with me in the Iowa Wild. That's kind of the kickoff point mm-hmm. to where almost the halfway point, some people will say that the 4th of July is really the halfway point, but I think for hockey, uh, it's it, it feels like that mid-July, Chicago I know was doing development camps. I, I think Dallas had their development camp, so teams start to do it right around there. And to get back in the rink to see some of the, the players that, of course, we've gotten to know Marco Rossi was there, Adam Beckman was there, the whole staff, the development coaches from Minnesota, the full Minnesota staff. As much as you love to get away when the season is done, there was a little bit of that itch now. I was driving back yeah. going, that was fun. It was great to be around the banter, getting you know jabbed and barbed at by all the guys again. You miss that. You don't get that as much, obviously, in May and June and in the opens of it's July. It's a good way so to just dip your toes back is. into it. And you know when the schedule does come out, that's like things ramp up. That's when things become real and you kind of really start, you know, pedal to the floor, really start going. And then, and then it dies down a little bit. Dies down a little bit. And then all of a sudden training camp's here up in Minnesota and – that's when that's really when like your season is here is when training camp kicks off so exciting stuff for sure 
Let's get to our 10-year tidbits uh, presented by Explore Minnesota. Plan your next trip on the water or discover the many rivers and waterfalls in Minnesota, which sound really nice on a scorching day like it is today in Des Moines. Whether you are planning on making a trip on a tank full, visiting the headwaters of the mighty Mississippi, or just planning a fun day of hiking, start by ordering your free travel guide. Visit exploreminnesota.com to create your summer bucket list of things to do and places to go. I love that we've got ad reads. It makes me feel so official. So Thank legit. you so much, Explore Minnesota. <laughs> yes. You've made our podcast so legitimate. We can't thank you enough for that. Yeah, terrific sponsor. And I know the corporate team here does such a fabulous job at that. We not only have tons of sponsors, but great sponsors and sponsors mm-hmm. that do really care about the product in the Iowa Wild. So, yes, a big shout-out to Explore Minnesota. Uh, also, uh, a goodbye for the Minnesota Wild and Cam Talbot. That was the big news of really leading up to free agency. There was the squabble uh, between Bill Guerin and the agent of Cam Talbot, in which in episode four, people want to hit the rewind button. I think you could hear me saying, I don't think it seems like a huge deal. I'm sure Guerin will get this ironed out. We're looking forward to a great season of Cam Talbot and Marc-Andre Fleury. Mm. Yeah, well, you know, (laughs) listen, it's things... That's just kind of the nature of the beast in this business, and it is a business. Mm-hmm. I think Bill Guerin made a very good point with when all this kind of came out during the draft that, listen, Cam's under contract. I really don't have to do anything if we don't want to, but he also wants to do right by players, and he also wants guys to be here and be bought in, and he wants guys who want to be here. Not that Cam didn't want to be here, but he might have been a little bit caught off guard or upset. I mean, I'm not in Cam's brain. Yeah. I didn't talk to him. I don't know. But I'm sure he was expecting to to not have to split time again and obviously wasn't expecting the resigning of Marc-Andre Fleury. So when that does happen, he's probably looking for a chance to go and be a number one somewhere, which he's got every right to because he was for majority of the season here in Minnesota. So um, obviously they they ship him off to – what did we send? Ottawa. Ottawa, yeah. Right. Philip Gustafson comes yep. back, uh, a, a second-round pick of the Pittsburgh Penguins when Garen was there. Mm-hmm. So it, really, you're seeing themes here with Bill Garen. You look at Kalen Addison coming over. That's another example of a, a guy that Garen went and got when the opportunity presented itself. Obviously, Jason Zucker, an Iowa-wild alum, going over in that trade you know, years ago now. Um, so Garen going with guys that he knows. Gustafson comes over. Hard to look at, at his numbers in Ottawa and and go well he's a terrible goaltender because of his numbers no i mean you look at ottawa and they're a complete team that's in in the, they're a team that's in the complete rebuilding mode right yeah. now he was also he didn't he didn't get a ton of time yeah, in ottawa split a has little very bit. good numbers in belleville yes. in the ahl so that's great to see um so i'm excited to see him come over it sounds like bill garen has said he's the, he's the number 2 mm-hmm. which is exciting to see for a multitude of reasons uh but you know I guess you never really know what you're going to get until you start seeing this guy in action. But I think the other thing, too, about sending Cam to Ottawa, I think in the past you talked about it being a rebuild. Ottawa is kind of like that place where it's maybe it's like Cleveland in the NFL. You're like, oh, like that's where I'm going. Mm-hmm. Like That's not really the case for Ottawa. No. They've, it's the – give me the Brian Windhorst, the what's happening in <laughs> Ottawa? What's happening in Ottawa? They Obviously, they bring in Talbot. They go get Claude Giroux. Like, they're they're making some moves. They added a couple other pieces. Josh Norris signing. Josh they Norris really like him up there. Deal. Yep, they really like, like him. They are all of a sudden no longer this. I don't see them as this this bottom tier team Agreed. in the East. I think they're very much a competitor and 
uh, you know, probably a playoff team in the East as well. Agreed. I'm excited to see how it plays out with Gustafson. I, I certainly think he's going to get every chance and may prove to be a, a wonderful opportunity for him, but also for the Wild to have a guy to play in tandem with Flurry. It also potentially, who knows, opens the door possibly for a Zane McIntyre to get a look, potentially a Jesper Volstead to get a look. Uh, it Well, maybe they might not get the chance right off the hop, but uh, there's one thing Garen seems to, to be is he's going to present the opportunity to a player that not only is going to be the best fit, but also is the best fit for his culture. I, I think about with this trade too, with Garen, the one thing he fiercely protects is the culture in the room. Mm -hmm. And if Talbot in any way, shape or form in the conversations he'd had presented himself as someone that might, even though he was great for the culture, if he was going to be unsettled or unhappy, I'm sure Garen went, well, we can't have that almost to the point of no matter who it is. If you're mm -hmm. not buying in, if you don't want to be here, then we'll find somebody that wants to yep. be. And, and so uh, hopefully for Cam, it's a great opportunity for him. He gets to be a part of the resurging Ottawa Senators, and, and Philip Gustafson comes in and is a great option for Garen in the wild. And, and maybe we see more of Zane McIntyre up there this year. Maybe he gets more opportunity. Maybe they're not quite as nervous about bringing up a young Volstead, even if it's just to see the NHL, to be around Marc-Andre Fleury. So I, I'm excited for it. There's some other signings, too, we wanted to get to to not get too long-winded on the front mm -hmm. end again here. Obviously, with free agency going on, uh, the Minnesota Wild, some two-way deals to announce. Uh, Stephen Fogarty comes in um, from the Providence Bruins, Boston Bruins organization. You've got Andre Suster, big meaty defenseman Six, that seven. comes in. I mean, this is, he's a monster. Uh, I remember him from the Tampa Bay Lightning. That was when he broke into the mm -hmm. league. Um, you've got Brandon Bannock is back, so you've got – uh, one piece of the bazooka line still intact. We're not sure about Dominic Turgeon quite yet. Obviously, Cody McLeod has retired, but that line, we talked about it at length, actually, that line at development camp. Uh, but, you know, whether it was Tim Army talking about it or Brad Bombardier, director of player development, talking about it, everyone loved watching that line, and they were so effective last year. And especially without McLeod, we know Tim Army loves to have tough teams and teams that have players that can shift the paradigm with a punch or a hit or a forecheck, and Brandon Baddock can do that. So excited to have him back in the room. And one guy for me that when I saw his name on, on this release that went out with, with this, this foursome of players, Nick Patan, uh, a second-round pick uh, of the Winnipeg Jets in the past, a small player, a, a tremendously skilled player, I haven't been paying as much attention to him as I paid attention to him early when he broke in uh, with the Jets, but I remember thinking early on, I know he, he lit up the junior world in Canada. I was talking about this with Ryan O'Rourke, uh, who, who will be here this coming season, defenseman for the Iowa Wild, was with the Sioux Greyhounds last year in the OHL, but he said the same thing. He saw that signing and went, wow, Nick Patan, you know, wow, can't wait, you know, to potentially play with him, see him, whether it's here in Iowa or, or with Minnesota. So uh, a great a great couple of signings, it's, or great four signings, it seems, off just the, the press release and then what you can see about these players. Um, I, I've, I've heard good things about Fogarty. He, he's a University of Notre Dame guy. He's from Edina originally. I've heard leadership out of him. I've mm -hmm. heard he's a guy that is really good in the room. And I believe he had maybe 45, 46 points last yeah. year. So, I mean, that that's a good that's a good number in the American Hockey League. So, they're reloading, rebolstering, and then uh, two AHL deals. Michael O'Leary from the Hartford Wolfpack. He was assigning as well. And then the ECHL Defenseman of the Year and Ben Finkelstein uh, with the Newfoundland Growlers. So, um, Finkelstein, I remember seeing in Waterloo when he was playing junior there when I was working for the Buccaneers in Des Moines. And I mean, he was 
he was a cheat code for for Waterloo when he was there. I mean, it was it was Eric Carlson in the USHL. He would show up out of just nowhere on plays and just make people look silly. Now, there's a lot of levels between the USHL sure. and the AHL, but he clearly was was good enough to to do what he did in the ECHL and and lead that league as defenseman goes by the assists and points category. So he could be a great op- option if we do potentially see less of Kalen Addison this year. Who's that mobile defenseman that creates? Maybe it's Ben Finkelstein. Yeah. Lot of, I mean, I guess the short of it, right? These are it's all depth signings for Minnesota. Mm-hmm. All these guys are on two ways. Sure, you may see some back and forth, but I would imagine most of their time for the four that were signed is going to be here in Iowa. Gives you Schuster on the back end, who's a big body. Ottenbright, we've already got. Mm-hmm. He's a big body. Then you had Dakota Mermis, who is your favorite because he plays got, like he has a big body. Not that he's small, but, but he's got plays that bigger, fuse, which yes. is your favorite thing. So you got guys who play big on the back end, which is important. You get some depth up front as well. You know, filling some of those veteran roles with guys who are currently, you know, restricted free agents or unrestricted. Don't forget free Joe Hicketts too. We cannot Hickett, forget. No, no, Joe I'm Hickett. not forgetting Joe Hicketts. I'm just thinking more. Of, he's one guy that if he were, he won't listen to this, but if yeah. you ever heard this, he didn't bring me up. Yeah. We, we would hear from yeah. him if this. Yeah. No. And we, we want to get <laughs> we want to get Joe Hicketts on we here will, too. Of course. Apologies to Joe. Yes, but. Uh, Nick Patan, his brother actually played here in Iowa for a little bit on a, I think he was on a loan, but he played here for a little bit. So guys who are going to help out. And then obviously, like you mentioned, you get the guys on the AHL deal. Mm-hmm. Finkelstein is one who, who intrigues me probably the most just simply because of the numbers that he's put up. Yeah. Uh, I know looking back and, and seeing when we announced a signing or as the signings were coming out, people talking on Twitter and whatnot and all the people for the Growlers where he played last year were very upset that he wasn't coming back. The teams who played the Growlers could not have been happier <laughs> because they didn't have to go against him anymore. He was that dominant in their games, and people hated playing against him because of the numbers that he put up. So I'm glad to have that guy on our side. And like you said, it's someone who could be depth for the Wild if a guy like Kalen Addison spends some time in Minnesota or if guys go down with injury, like which happens every year. So always got to be prepared. Some other guys that might be filling out the roster, uh, again, unconfirmed yet, but it, plans are being made where it seems like we will see Damon Hunt this season. We will see Ryan O'Rourke this season. They were here during the COVID-shortened season. Uh, Hunt was a before and after player because the WHL where he played in Moose Jaw did play mm-hmm. during 2020-2021. The OHL uh, where Ryan O'Rourke played did not, so he was here the full year. Um, got to see a steady dosage of both of those guys, and I know that Minnesota is excited about their development, so they'll likely be here. Uh, you've also potentially got a Sam Henches coming in. He was a seventh-round pick of, of Minnesota in years past out of St. Cloud State University, uh, and it does look like Jesper Volstead is going to be here. Uh, first-round pick that Bill Guerin traded up to get, so that says enough about what Minnesota hopes for for this goaltending prospect. He was at development camp that I got to be at this week up in St. Paul, and first and foremost, seems like a wonderful young man. Um, you know, it was really... I, talking to him, you could sense that every word he says, he's very pragmatic. He mm-hmm. thinks through how he responds, something I don't always do that well. <laughs> that well. Um, but he, he thinks through every response and uh, was very polite, very courteous, and seemed like just the fiercest of competitor. We, we had a, a chance to sit down and talk to him on camera a little bit, and, and I asked him, what's one word to describe Jesper Volstead? And he said, I hate losing he said he said I'm competitor was the first word he said and he said I hate losing and he got really kind of tense about it just talking Good. about it so this guy Good. is a competitor uh all signs point to him potentially being a world-class goaltender in the National Hockey League and it seems like looking at the depth chart you know with 
Fleury, Gustafson, McIntyre at the start might be a little bit higher on the depth chart than him only because he's proven he can play in the NHL and on a spell. He's been a great AHL goalie, but Volstead, it seems like, might be here, which is great for us. And there is one thing to note with that, too. Goaltenders, especially when they're young, when they're coming over from, from Europe, you play on the bigger ice surface, it is a massive adjustment playing in North America because the rink is smaller, the angles are different. I've, through San Jose, even in Worcester, just seeing other teams, goalies who come in from overseas there's an adjustment period and understanding you know how does how does the puck come off the end wall you know following different angles from guys on the rush like it's it's a little adjustment now he's supposed to be this world-class goalie like you said so maybe that learning curve's a little bit quicker but I don't want you know you got to temper expectations to some degree you don't want people to come in and think he's going to be this Vesna caliber goalie right off the bat that's that's very likely not going to be the case but he should be a very good option for us i love the fact that he's a competitor and he loves to win because zane also has that yeah. same fire in him and so i think those guys are going to gel great together zane's a great person to learn from he's been around for a very long time in the pro hockey scene so the two of them i'm excited to to have them be our our two guys for this year and just get me to October, man. Just get me to October. I'm, <laughs> oh, good. I brought, I'm I brought back the itch from, from yeah, St. Paul with like, me. I'm I excited. can sense it here. It's cool. I mean, you mentioned some of those other names, too. I know I followed from, obviously, I wasn't up there like you were, but I followed on Twitter. It sounded like, uh, I know Carson Lambos may not be somebody that we see just yet. Probably not yet. But it's, he sounds like he's the real yeah. deal, huh? So smooth. Uh, who, smooth. Who, in your mind, being up there over you know this, the past couple of days, which maybe there was one, maybe there were a couple, who stood out to you? the most of all the guys who are in camp. Lambos definitely stood out. Uh, he's smooth. And the one thing that I noticed about him and then and Brock Faber, who came over in the Fiala trade, and we were talking about this. We did a stream for the, the final three-on-three chaotic tournament that we had where yeah. Kevin Faulness and I... I turned it on for two minutes. And it I, was I, nuts. I, I got overwhelmed just watching yeah, it while that was happening. Was I had to turn it off. I, I, I don't blame you. But you guys were in the midst of saying, I think... Let's find out where the camera is. We'll talk here. There's a lot going down on the other end of the ice. And I said, I'm just watching, and I can't imagine. But we were talking on there about it. It's almost unfair to Brock Faber that he comes in in this trade because it is such, it's so hard for fans to watch Fiala go. But Faber is, is no slouch. Yes, he may not, he probably won't be an instant impact type player. He will probably go back to the University of Minnesota where he was the defensive player of the year in the Big Ten last year. But him and, and Lambos watching them play, the one thing I noticed about these guys, and they're both uh, very heralded for their puck-moving ability but also the way they defend. But, boy, I, I'm not sure I saw Faber look down at the ice once. when a Puck on his stick, it was catch, pass, catch, Just stick. comfortable. Oh, my gosh. And, and, and not that, obviously, there's not a lot of players at this level, but the prospect mm-hmm. guys that are staring down on their feet, but... I mean, even pucks in his skates, he'd kick them out, and he he was just always scanning, and Lambos was very similar like that. On the back end, those were the two guys that really jumped out at me. I did think O'Rourke and, and Hunt had very good camps, and I know that the staff agreed on that. They, they really liked the way those guys have developed since they saw them in last year at the development mm-hmm. camp. Um, the guy that really jumped out, and I know he jumped out to some of the staff, Minnesota, Iowa development staff, the, the, whole, the whole lot, Hunter Haight uh, was fabulous. Uh, This guy had uh, two beautiful goals in the championship three-on-three game, which was about the best call I got to give because Mm -hmm. it was the only time there was one game going on. Um, He scored both goals in the win. 
Um, and this is a guy who played for the Barry Colts last year. You know, 41 points, a good year, nothing off the charts, but uh, he's a young kid as an 04 birth year. They just drafted him in the second round uh, up in Montreal. And, I mean, shifty, uh, very purposeful in everything he did. You, a lot of times you'll hear the term passenger or driver, and every time he had the puck, he was driving plays when I got to watch him, which wasn't as much as some of the other people that were up there obviously did, but uh, he really jumped out at me. Um, Beckman and Rossi were a cut above, that as, was they, be should, as is, they should is, be. As the two guys yep. who were here primarily last year, you know, how did they look in their development? Did it seem like they've taken steps? I know in Beckman's, the mic'd up piece they put out, someone said, oh, you look bigger, and I mean, does he look like he's filled out a little yeah. bit over the summer? Yeah, everything looks good yeah. with those guys. Yeah, not quite as wiry. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, looks a little bit less like a soccer player, you know, running around the pitch. He's got a little more, you know, girth to him now. Uh, Rossi, similarly, um, both looked like, as everybody does in the offseason, because you, you're not, you haven't just played 50 games in a row. Right. Like, like when we see these guys in February yeah. and they're, they're string beans because they've yeah. all lost the summer weight, but they did look good. They, they clearly have taken their offseasons very uh, seriously um, and, and are doing what they've been told, which is we need you to, to get tired. Tougher. And not, mm -hmm. not that they're not tough, but one thing that both of those guys dealt with last year was taking a whack here, taking a cross check here. That wears on you, even if you don't miss games. Especially for Marco, who's, yes. who's I mean, playing in that center position. He's going to be on the inside a yeah. lot. He's going to those really nitty gritty areas. You have to be able to, you have to be able to bulk up to take some of those beatings that you know, maybe some of the other forward positions aren't taking on a regular basis. Yeah, it was a great, great trip at camp. Uh, it made me, again, like I said, it made me really excited for next year. Uh, and I'm really excited about the group that's starting to come together. There's still some pieces that I, I know Mike Murray is working on putting together. And maybe we'll see some old faces from last year that aren't re-signed yet. I'd imagine we'll see some new ones too. So I'm excited to see what, what comes up there. And, you know, also it'll be curious to see who are some of the players that are coming back that, played certain roles last year that might get elevated roles, like a Nick Sweeney could be mm -hmm. a guy that I think could really play an elevated role next year. And speaking of elevation, some staff promotions that you wanted to get to. Yeah, I know. We, I don't know. I really don't think we've put them out publicly yet. But we had a couple internal promotions for people that certainly deserve shout outs. Mm -hmm. So uh, the first two, it's all out of the ticket sales side. So uh, Colton Schroeder got moved up. He is now overseeing our whole membership services team. So Wild 365, all of our season ticket holder accounts. He's gonna gonna lead the charge there with um, Brett Dawson and Noah Gordon. Brett Dawson also got a promotion; is now a senior account executive with a with the Wild here. So that's very exciting. And then Chase Tennant, who was a group sales account executive, is now overseeing the group sales department, and they are working on hiring a couple new faces as well over there to help run out the group sales team. So a couple. Well-deserved uh, moves for those three guys. Very exciting. All uh, young kids, eager. Everybody's ready to to get the season started. I think everybody everybody upstairs is in the same boat, right? Everybody's waiting for a schedule to come out. Everybody's ready for, ready for tickets to go on sale. Ready for us to announce our promotions and theme nights, which I'm working diligently on every day. Um, yeah, it's gonna be. I don't know, it's gonna be a good year. Can't wait. Some fans might be sitting here listening. Why are we talking about staff promotions? But I would imagine more so than not are going. They're clapping or they're thinking because they're thinking, well done, because, yes, we sit here and we get to do the podcast and, and I get to do the games, but the lifeblood of what happens in this organization mm -hmm. happens upstairs. It happens with the tickets. It happens in your world, in the marketing world, on the corporate side. Obviously, all the work that Allie Brown does leading from the front of our organization. Mm -hmm. um, so it is worthwhile for us to recognize these people when there are promotions that happen because – 
it's just as much of a grind for, for some of some of the staff upstairs as it is for some of the staff down here who maybe gets a little more aplomb or mm-hmm. applause for the, the work ethic or the grind, if you will, uh, just because we're out on the road. But, uh, you know, there there's similar grinds happening upstairs and everybody really has an oar and they're working in the same direction well it's that it's that iowa grown mentality right that's what our our tagline is for this 10 year we've come a long way in 10 years we're growing all across the board on the ice off the ice in the community the players the development they have but also our staff our staff growth internally for the staff staff's grown we've had staff go up to minnesota so everybody is it's all in that same same mindset. You know, we want people to be here. We want people to grow here, and giving people that opportunity is has been huge. And we're going to continue to do that. So it's great for those three who our fans probably know better than most on the mm-hmm. staff because they're on the ticket side and they interact with them during the season almost on a daily basis. They're on the phones. They're they're doing a lot of the hard work, and it's not very glamorous. So a big shout out to everybody that we were just talking about there, and just the entire front office staff. I, I know a lot of them listen. Um, so and we appreciate it, and we obviously appreciate everybody tuning in. That's it for episode five on our ten year tidbits. Again, thanks to Explore Minnesota for sponsoring that segment and also the show. Let's talk Haley Moore. Mm-hmm. Um, we went for her early. Yeah. Uh, she, I mean, we we we. We had this interview in the can for a while. We didn't want to run it right away because we wanted to get a few Iowa Wild, Minnesota Wild people out there. I think it may have jarred people. Why, why is episode two someone who, who doesn't have an, a direct affiliation with the team? Sure. Um, but we walked away from the interview and went, boy, that was a, a, a great, I think it was 30, 40 minutes mm-hmm. with Haley and just a fascinating hockey executive and has such a great journey. And we got into her career. We got into not only the playing side of her career, I thought – one of the best bus stories, that opening question that, that we ask everybody, I think she still to this point has had one of the oh, best, yeah. has had one of, if not the best Without bus story. Doubt. Hers or Staylocks to me were, were, were the two best that we've heard so far, um, and we're not going to spoil it. Um, but you know, tell us more. You were a part of, obviously, as we were in Mitch at the time, about mm-hmm. when we were thinking about bringing Haley on, what were some of the whys of why we wanted to talk to her? Yeah, well, I think the big thing with the Haley Moore interview is obviously – Taking the role that she took as VP of Hockey Ops within the American Hockey League, that is something that has been talked about at length across all kinds of platforms. And I think bringing her on, yeah, you want to talk about Mm -hmm. that a little bit, but the whole point of why we're doing this is to really get to know people a little bit more, not just talk about their jobs or the way that they play on the ice. Like We want to get more in-depth with that kind of stuff. And I think we did that with Haley talking about, you know, things that make her tick, her time playing for Digit Murphy, how she really went from player to management and some of the stories she had about having to dress and sign like a one-day PTO (laughs) to play and playing very limited minutes, Uh, her love for running marathons, which I still think is a crazy person thing to enjoy doing, but she loves it. Uh, She's, she's, she seems to be in the perfect role for herself and she's doing a great job with it. it was cool to hear i know you asked her a little bit about uh, the officiating side of things some of the calls some of the things that have been a little bit more prevalent in the game as of late mm-hmm. to hear her thoughts on that and where the direction of things are going so i think people are going to love it and i don't want to spoil too much of it so maybe we just kick it right over now yeah that's it that's period one uh let's get on to period two so all aboard as we go more in depth with vp of hockey operations of the american hockey league Haley moore Welcome back to period two of this special episode of Riding the Bus, the official podcast, the Iowa Wild. Today we have a very special guest joining us all the way from Chicago currently, 
but she spends most of her time in Springfield, Massachusetts, working for the American Hockey League as the Vice President of Hockey Operations. We have Haley Moore with us. Haley, welcome and thanks for joining us. Thank you guys for having me. It's great to be here. Awesome. So first question we always we always ask everybody is ride in the bus. So uh, with that, we want to get some of your you know your best stories. You know, you've played, you've coached, you've been a GM, you've you've pretty much held every position on the on the hockey offside that you can. Can you give us some insight, any any great stories, bus etiquette maybe, things that you've come across in your time uh, traveling for hockey? Yeah, that's such a great question. Uh, obviously spent a lot of time on the bus over the years. And I think with this question, all of like the horror stories are the first things that kind of pop into my mind. Um, obviously, there's always like the karaoke on the bus and all those good times. But um, my probably most memorable um, bus experience was my sophomore year at Brown. Uh, we were at St. Lawrence, which is about a you know seven, eight hour drive. And uh, we, we lost in the ECAC championship game to Harvard, but at St. Lawrence. And uh, we got about 30 minutes into our drive home. You know, our season is over. We missed the NCAA tournament by one spot by losing that game. And uh, our bus broke down. And not only did it break down, it we were on the side of the road for like seven hours. So, um, so our season ended, our bus broke down. We had to wait for a new bus to drive out from Rhode Island to come pick us up. And it was like, the icing on the cake at that point. I, I don't think you could get much worse of this an ending to your season than that. So uh, it was a, a memorable experience, but we tried to make the most of it and enjoy each other's company. And I think a few people missed their exams the next day. So that was the silver lining. <laughs> so <laughs> they got an extra day to study. When you're when you're stranded like that for a couple of hours waiting for a new bus to come out and get, I mean, what are you guys doing to to pass the time? Oh gosh, it was like, so I actually remember the the TVs on the bus were broken. So oh. it kept on like replaying the same part of a movie that we were trying to watch and then finally had to give up on that. But it sounds like the Twilight co- Zone. What was the movie? Oh, it was terrible. And our coach wouldn't let us off the bus to like really walk around because there was there was a gas station across the street and she was afraid that we were all gonna go buy beer there, right? Because you know, like gas station in New York. I mean that's what I've been thinking alcohol everywhere but we're we're all college students so she's like nobody's allowed off the bus and um yeah it was a little bit of a disaster but you know we played some games and uh just tried to make the most of it and soak in the final hours with our ourselves as a team that's such a great point Haley that you make because anyone who's who's been around hockey as long as you have as long as a lot of our guests have have those stories where you're between a rock and a hard place and it's a bad situation and you really, and you have not, and especially as a player there, there's nothing you can do about it. Now the team mm-hmm. services guy is, is, is having an absolute nightmare scenario mm-hmm. in that situation. I can tell you that, but, but for the players, you do just have to take what you can and make the most out of it because sitting there and being a curmudgeon for seven hours, it's only going to make it worse, right? Exactly. Yeah. We just had to kind of create our own fun and make the most of the situation and, I think, you know, the, again, the silver lining was kind of like our season was ending and that it was quality time that we got together that in hindsight, you know, we wouldn't have had otherwise. And, um, you know, I think we would have had plenty of time on the bus, but we got a little extra time 
uh, on that trip coming home. So and that it was, was special. That was Brown University as a very decorated player there. I'm curious because, as we alluded to, you really have spent time in so many of the different professions that there are to be had for people that want to move into the front office side of hockey. Did you know at the time when you were playing that you that you wanted this path, or was this more of it sort of just came to be as dominoes started falling once you got outside of your playing career? Yeah, I wasn't somebody who knew early on what I wanted to do when I stopped playing. Um, I would say I was a bit naive when I was in college, and I just um, I was so focused on my playing career and um, and so passionate about it. You know, my goal was to make the Olympics. Um, I was I was very in the moment and just trying to serve my team. And um, I kind of always told myself that there was going to be kind of a playing career path for me once college hockey ended. And there, there really wasn't a whole lot, which is kind of how my career, you know, transitioned once I did have to hang up the skates. But I, I didn't know until after I was done playing um, how I was going to kind of keep hockey in my life. And, and that's because for so long, I, I only saw playing as, you know, my path. And um, it took a little bit of time to get there. And I think that's a big part, Haley, about, you know, a lot of people that play, you get so involved in everything that you do. And it's such a big part of your life that it's hard to even think about doing something else. And part of your job now with the league is to help some of those players that maybe don't know what they want to do next on the officiating side. You you oversee that process for the American Hockey League. What's that been like? What's the training process like in getting some former players? I know we have We've had uh, Justin Kia and Jordan Samuels Thomas through Iowa and a bunch of others that played at some level and are now looking to transition into something else. What is that process like for you, you know, starting at the recruitment stage and maybe to the training phase and, and then the execution of it all? Yeah, it's been really eye-opening for me to just see the career path and uh, as a, uh, a great way for people to stay involved in the game, you know, on the ice and um, it's something that I wish I knew more about as a player. And, um, it's, it's been really rewarding for me to be able to kind of work in this space. It's, you, you get, um, you know, that fulfillment of really kind of coaching and mentoring, um, but also being able to have an impact on the game and, and see their growth and development. But, um, it's an area where like, things are constantly evolving too. And that's uh, a challenge, but it's a, an exciting one that, you know, kind of day to day, we, we look to to spread awareness to the career path and, and hopefully, you know, the more eyes we get on uh, the opportunity there, the, the more great qualified and officials we're going to continue to attract. So um, I think it's a, it's a really exciting space to be working in and it's, you know, one of the most rewarding parts of the job that I've stepped into here. And when you were in Des Moines this past season, you mentioned to me that the development process for officials at the American Hockey League level is not dissimilar from um, the development process for players. What is that like? Are you in the league office grading officials during games and trying to figure out which officials might be ready to take the next step? And we've seen that this year as well. Yeah, absolutely. I'd say in terms of like the development process from, you know, youth all the way through the pros is, is kind of similar in that, you know, no path is the same for any player. No path is the same really for any official. Um, and there's a lot of different points to entry. Um, and then also like the development process throughout the season for our current officials is, is something that's very similar. You know, we're doing video with these 
officials were, you know, we're doing pre and post game meetings. Uh, we're constantly looking to provide feedback, provide supervision, um, get as many eyes and conversations uh, with these officials as possible. And then, you know, we do preseason training camps and, and all those sorts of things. So, um, you know, it, it's very much a job for them and it's a lifestyle that they, they, they buy into and they, they live and breathe it every single day. Um, and, and the off season's a big time for that growth and development as well, just like for the players. In your communication with officials that I'm sure you have nightly, daily, every day, I mean, it's got to be a lot of communication that you have w with, with the different people who wear stripes for the American Hockey League. Is there a call that you hear them talk about most that you think they get the most tension or dissent from coaches on? Is it, I know cross-checking has become much more prevalent. Are coaches going after officials for that? Do you, do you have any kind of a beat or heartbeat on what you think some of the, the gripes from maybe the players and the coaches are towards officials on a nightly basis? Yeah, I think it definitely kind of ebbs and flows depending on what point of the season we're at too. <laughs> um, but um, I, I would say, you know, the, the cross-checking standard is something that everyone really kind of embraced right from the start of the season. And, um, and as soon as coaches, teams, players knew that that standard was changing, it was like immediately they wanted, they wanted it addressed that way. So it wasn't really resisting the change. It was wanting it enforced and making sure, you know, well, mm -hmm. you know, isn't this a cross-check with our new cross-checking standard kind of thing? So that, that sort of question coming from teams players, coaches, um, just, you know, wanting to understand the new enforcement. And I think that that's typically where um, questions come in the most is when there is like kind of a change in enforcement of a rule. Um, obviously, video review and, and those sorts of things um, come up quite often throughout the season. Um, too many men has been kind of a hot topic throughout playoffs um, as things uh, get a little bit more competitive here. And, and then I would say checks to the head in general are something that like our teams uh, don't necessarily um, all have kind of a clear definition on what is, is classified as a check to the head or not. And that's something that we are constantly evaluating and discussing uh, with our officials as well. So um, obviously camera angles and things like that help give us more information on those types of hits, but um, something that's you know relatively newer in the game in terms of rules, and so um, you know naturally just going to be a point of conversation among everyone. I promise I'm not going to pick your brain about rules and regulations and officiating for the entirety of our time together because I do want to <laughs> get into more than this, and I know you have a, a litany of other things that I think are just are a terrific part of who you are as a hockey operations person and as a part of our game. But I, I'm curious because, again, you're someone that's on – you're in these closed-door meetings. You're on the forefront of a lot of how do we prog progress the game forward? How do we progress officiating to make our game faster, to make our game cleaner, to make our game more fun, but also safer too? What do you know and what can you share with us? Because I'm sure there's a lot you can share with us. But what, what do you know about where you think maybe the game's heading? Are there things that you're excited about that you think the officiating, there might be some changes like the cross-checking rule that you think will help grow this game and make it an even safer and faster sport than what we're already seeing? Because it clearly is, I think, at this time, the safest and the fastest it's ever been. But I know that there's more that needs to happen to get this game where I think everybody wants to get it to. Yeah, I think that that's the constant challenge is it, it's a balancing act, right, of trying to uh, let this game continue to get, you know, faster, more skilled, and while keeping it just as safe and or 
not like the most safe it's ever been. And um, one of the biggest challenges in my position is, is kind of managing the different perspectives and personalities on that. Um, so it's going to be a big point of conversation in our off-season meetings uh, among our competition committee this uh, this summer. And uh, I think that we're all, you know, striving for the same thing. Just people have different opinions on what that looks like and how to get there. You know, we want, we want to keep the game fast. Um, everyone wants to see, you know, more goals, more excitement. Um, but at the same time, you know, keeping things safe. And um, you, you see a lot of conflicting opinions in terms of what that will look like. Um, and, you know, we obviously keep uh, close touch with the NHL and their standards on things. So uh, they're a big part of those conversations and it just kind of trickles down from there. So um, definitely an evolution, but I think that, like you said, the game is as safe and fast as it's ever been. And we want to try to maintain that while, you know, maintaining the integrity as well. I know at some point, I mean, me and Mitch have some you know questions about playing at Brown, but before you get into college and all that, I mean, you grew up outside of Boston um, so for you, you know, growing up playing the game, who were the, the people that you admired? You know, who were the professionals that you admired, whether they were Bruins of the 90s or, you know, members of that 1998 Women's Olympic team who was a, a, such a huge inspiration for the boom of, of women's hockey kind of around the country. But who kind of had the biggest impact on you and your career? Definitely all of those. And the 98 Olympic team was a huge influence on me. Um, I grew up actually going to Brown women's hockey games as well. There, there weren't a ton of college women's programs in the area. My parents would drive me down there and, and see those games. But Bruins of the 90s as well. I mean, I, I was convinced I was playing for the Bruins when I got older. So, um, you know, that they had a big influence on me as well. Sergey Samsonov was my favorite player. I had posters of him all over yeah. my walls. And my brother had those ones. I had the Joe oh. Thornton. I had the Joe Thornton pictures. My brother had Sergey Samsonov. That was the kind of the way we grew up with Spinorama, it. Spinorama, so. man. Spin around, oh. Samson yep. off Spinorama. Who could forget that? Guy could that? fly. Oh, he was fast. Yeah. That's awesome. Then how do you make the transition into playing? Was it something that you did from a young age, or was it something that was inspired from those moments watching Bruins teams and watching women's hockey at Brown? Yeah, I started pretty early. I have an older brother who was playing hockey, and uh, so for my fourth birthday, my parents asked me what I wanted. I told them I wanted hockey equipment, and uh, nice. luckily, that's what I got for my fourth birthday, and when I started playing, and uh, I never, never looked back. So you said you had grown up going to watch hockey games at Brown, so as you're going through the selection process of where you wanted to, to play college hockey, was Brown always at the top of the list? Were there other schools in the mix? How did you end up settling on, on Brown as your school? Yeah, it was always at the top of my list, even though I didn't really know much about it. I just knew that's where I could go watch women's college games. And then as I got older and got into high school and, and learned about everything that the school had to offer, um, I realized that it was a good school to have at the top of my list. Um, you know, they had a successful hockey program. They had a you know veteran coach there. Uh, it was the first time I ever had a female coach, actually, was in college. Um, and, uh, and obviously, great education. And I knew that, you know, my my playing career wasn't going to last forever, although I hoped it would. Um, and, and things just kind of quickly narrowed down from there. So I, you know, took a look at other schools and uh, Brown was at the top of my list. And luckily I was able to commit there relatively early and, you know, only apply to one school. And um, yeah, I was uh, really lucky to get that college experience. It was unbelievable. Does anything stand out about having that first female coach compared to having males growing up. Do you remember that moment? And what do you remember about that moment and that year? And then any female coaches you may have had after that 
differences, comparisons at how the bench was run, at how the room room was run uh, in that setting compared to previous settings where males were running the bench? Yeah, from a hockey standpoint, nothing different Mm -hmm. at all. Um, Just from a, you know, from a standpoint of me being a young female in the locker room and uh, having a a strong female head coach and and her kind of empowering us, not just in hockey, but in life. um, I think that that was really the biggest takeaway for me uh, was how, how strongly she advocated for, um, for us, for herself and for our team, you know, things like getting equal opportunity on campus and, uh, and across the league and things like that. And that was really my first kind of glimpse into it. Um, but from a hockey standpoint, you know, there, there, there really was no difference between having a male and female coach. It was just uh, really eye opening to see uh, how passionate she was in, in empowering us in our lives uh, beyond the rink. So that was uh, my biggest takeaway from that experience. And for those who don't know, your college head coach at Brown was Digit Murphy, who is a legend in her own right. Do you have any specific memories or stories that stand out to you when you look back on your time at Brown with her? Oh gosh, so many stories. Um, but the funny thing with Digit is that she she didn't bring a stick on the ice for practice, um, which was always so strange to me. So like anytime she wanted to demonstrate something, she would steal a stick from somebody. Um <laughs> And I don't know why that's the first thing that kind of popped into my head, but it was just so unconventional and, um, and strange to me, but um, she was a very tough coach. Um, there's you know plenty of stories about what would happen when we lost a game. And, uh, you know, she definitely believed in, in skating us hard and, um, you know, deterring us in that fashion. And it was something that our team really rallied around um, and, and it really created a strong bond between us as players to, uh, kind of work through that adversity together. And um, she taught us uh, a lot of accountability and uh, just building character. So um, I, I like to, I know it's crazy, but run marathons for, for fun now. And I always tell myself that I, I can survive them because I survived, you know, all of the mm-hmm. skating that she put us through in college. So mentally, I think she's, she's made me and all my teammates really tough. What was the last marathon that you ran? I ran Boston, and I, uh, I've, I've run Boston four times, but um, wow. most recently was Boston, and I've applied for Chicago for 2022, so hoping to get into that. Are your times getting better as you've gone along each, each time you've run? Uh, they've ebbed and flowed, but my last one was my best, yeah, so. That's a uh, last marathon I ran was for um, I raised money for uh, Donna Lang, who was one of my players uh, on the Boston Pride, um, and uh, she suffered a spinal cord injury when I was a GM there. And uh, so I was able to, to run that marathon for her, which was really special. That's, that's great. Motivated me to get that best time. Yeah. I know she's that the, the dental Lang story was a big one that resonated across the hockey world, but certainly uh, back home where I'm from, you know, in Massachusetts and the Boston marathon, just in general, there's so much history behind it. And for people who don't know, there's the section of the marathon heartbreak Hill, is it as bad as everybody says that it is? It is. It's terrible. And it's so bad because of the timing, though. Like, what people don't realize is how hilly the course is from start to finish. Um, so, like, that one hill isn't necessarily, like, the worst or the only one. It's just that, like, you're at mile 17 and, like, you're already feeling it from, from everything before. And then it just doesn't end. 
Um, but the fans there are unbelievable. They get you through and uh, it's, it's pretty cool just to take in the atmosphere. That's why I try to focus on the crowd. Um, it's, it's pretty bad. Yeah. Do you think in those moments, can you hear coach Murphy in your head at any point when you're just like, I am on this heartbreak hill and this is miserable. Do you, do you think at any point you're, you're hearing something like, no, you still got to go, you know, whatever her mantra was when you were playing for the Brown bears. 100%. I can, I can see myself hunched over on the goal line with her and the whistle on, you know, in her mouth, just waiting for the whistle to go again when I haven't rested enough and recovered. Like I, I have flashes of that when I'm running a marathon. And someone else's stick. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Someone skating without a stick yeah, during because she's holding crazy. on to the stick. Well, that's at that a great point, story. I'm like, can you carry this for me? <laughs> take my stick, coach. Coach, take my stick. Oh, that's terrific. It, you bring up the Boston Pride, uh, and, and I'm going to let Mitch talk about this because he's the one who did the homework on this. I didn't have this story, but I know there was a quite a unique moment that happened to you as general manager of the Boston Pride. And, and Mitch, I'll, I'll hand it over to you to finish the rest of this because I, I really want to hear this story. So we can we can hop in the Wayback Machine here. 2015 in December, you're getting ready for a game, and there's a lot of different commitments from some of your players, and you end up having to suit up for a game as the team's general manager. Can you walk us through what that was like for you? Yeah, what a special moment. You guys did your research, too. I'm impressed um, that you dug this one up. But um, so, as you mentioned, we had a number of national team players. They all had commitments. Um, there, there was a national team camp that conflicted with um, our game against Connecticut Wales right after Christmas. And, um, you know, we signed a couple of one-day contracts, but uh, needed another body. And, and I got to sign a one-day contract as well. So, you know, I... I was on the ice pretty regularly coaching at that time. And, um, you know, I kicked around the men's leagues and stuff like that, but I wasn't exactly playing at that caliber of hockey. So I ended up practicing with the team for a week or so uh, leading up to the game. And uh, it was such a special moment for me because, um, you know, being the general manager of that team, I was helping to kind of create the opportunity that I didn't have when I graduated college. Um, and for these women to continue to play professionally for Boston, you know, my hometown. Um, so for me to be able to kind of live that life for one day was really special. And they rallied around me. The Connecticut whale was undefeated at the time and we handed them their first loss of the season. Um, so it was a really cool, um, really cool experience. And I think it helped make me a better GM just to kind of um, see through their lens for the day and, uh, and, you know, hopefully earn a little respect. But um, it was a really special day. Well, I'm guessing nobody looked you off if you were back door open, because if they did, you would have dealt them the next day. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And the funny thing is the, the goalie who played in that game for the whale was my goalie at Brown. So I'm like, nice. it's the only goalie who knows all my moves is playing in that. <laughs> well, the, on the flip side, you all, you know, all the goalies weak points as well. So that's true. That's true. She, she ended up on the better side of that one. Cause I didn't put one in that game. How, you know, looking back at the pride, you know, how did you make that transition to jumping into a, a general manager role? Like how did that come about? And, and what were your thoughts initially when that title presented itself to you? Yeah, so I knew relatively quickly um, in my coaching career that I, I didn't want to be coaching forever. Um, you know, my one of my first jobs 
um, after college was as an assistant athletic director at a prep school in addition to coaching. And, um, and I loved all of the management side of things that I was doing there. So um, I went from that position at St. Mark's to coaching at Harvard and, uh, and obviously learned a ton while I was there, but I was really craving uh, more of the operation side of the game management. Um, so from there, went to uh, work as a director for the East Coast Wizards um, program, and uh, it's a club program in the Boston area. And that's I went there with the intention of being in more of a, a management position and an operations role. Um, so about a year into that, where I was getting more uh, more experience, just kind of running teams, running a program, running our development systems. Um, you know, Danny Ryland, who started the NWHL, uh, came to me and. and Kind of presented her business plan and um, that she was looking to have a team in Boston and, and asked, you know, if I had any ideas where I thought we might want to have our home arena, et cetera. I just, um, you know, wanted to get my input as somebody who was kind of ingrained in the Boston hockey culture. And uh, the more I learned, the more I wanted to be involved. And I knew that it was a really great opportunity for my career to, to kind of take on everything that I had been looking for and couldn't find. So it was it was an opportunity I knew I was built for, but um, hadn't really presented itself until that point. And um, I jumped all in, and it you know it was definitely one of the most influential points in my career. In your time as the architect of the Boston Pride, do you have any good deadline day stories or? phone calls with other GMs where it's down to the wire. And I, I just, I've heard some stories from general managers where it's, it's four in the morning and they've been trying to finish this deal since, you know, a month ago, anything that comes to mind when I bring that up, just some hair raising, straining negotiations to go and get a player. Absolutely. So in that first season, you know, contract negotiations were, challenging to say the least. And, um, you know, I was building a team from scratch, so it was, you know, a full roster that we needed to build there. And, uh, and I was looking to sign about, uh, eight or nine national team players and they all wanted to negotiate their contract collectively, um, and didn't end up signing until the night of our first practice, which was at, at the deadline. So, um, we went through months, of contract negotiations and back and forth. And they had the same agent representing um, the group of them. And it, I could have lost all of them and, and had, you know, half of my roster depleted. And uh, and we were looking for everyone to buy into our, our league and, and everything that we had to offer at that point. So um, it was um, it was a leap of faith that I was asking them to take to, to come in and join our team and, uh, and get them to buy into, you know, the culture and the environment that I was hoping to build there. So um, it was uh, definitely a time where I probably lost a few years off my life and uh, lost, a, you know, some hours of sleep. But uh, at the end of the day, we got all of them signed and on the ice for that first practice and, uh, and ended up winning that that cup, the Isabel cup that first year. So it was uh, all worth it in the end. And Haley, I'm from Buffalo. So I got to witness sort of firsthand the growth of the NWHL with the Buffalo Buttes in Buffalo. It's a great name. For, it is. It's a great For name. you, what has been the, the largest area of growth in women's hockey from the time you joined the Pride organization to now? I can't believe how much women's hockey has grown. I, I think the fact that people are talking about women's professional hockey as much as they are right now is just a huge testament to all of the, the work and growth that's been done. Um, but, you know, the, 
it was such a short time ago that you know women were not being paid to play hockey anywhere in North America. Uh, when I graduated, I went overseas and played in Switzerland, and that was the only place that I could get a paycheck playing hockey, and it was very minimal. Um, so, you know, to see, you know, seven years later now um, that there's so much opportunity for women to get paid to play hockey. Um, granted, there's a ton of work that needs to be done, but um, I, I just think it's a huge testament to the interest in the sport, the, the growth, the visibility that we've had. Um, obviously, the Olympics play a huge influence on that, but uh, my favorite part of the job is to, to go to a game and see all the little young girls and boys in the stands that now have women's professional hockey to go watch and to see that crowd. Um, it, it's, it's something that like makes my heart smile. It, I, I can't even put into words um, how fulfilling it is to go to those games and see the product on the ice and to see those women living out their dreams and, and to see the fans in the stands just so excited to be there and support it. Haley, for you and many of your other comrades, uh, female and male, that have really put an onus on how do we grow women's hockey, I would imagine that at this point, and some of the stories you've told us even in this time together have shown me this, you must be a pretty unflappable person when it comes to you get a problem, you get a challenge, and yes, you see the difficulty around it, but I'm sure you also say, well, we similarly handled this, or we similarly handled this. We've pushed this boundary. We've shattered this ceiling. Would you say that's an accurate representation of how you approach problems and difficulties, whether it's in this job or whether it was while you were a GM? Is You seem to be someone that this is a can-do attitude type situation no matter what's thrown at you. Yeah, I think that I've just kind of learned that like nothing comes easily and, um, and you know, just with a little bit of teamwork and, and hard work and resiliency, like that, that's what's going to get you to where you want to be. So um, I just have been in environments where like where nothing is going to go according to plan and, and that's okay. And I think that that's just helped make me individually really flexible and within a team. And um, so obviously kind of stepping into this role um, during the pandemic, um, that kind of suited me well and just being able to uh, learn to face those challenges and the adversity and, and find some solutions. But um, yeah, in general, I would say I'm a pretty solutions oriented person. That's um, something that I, I kind of thrive off of. I, I love, you know, facing a challenge and then finding a way uh, collectively as a group to, to make things better. And um, that's, you know, what I hope to do in my current position and, and hope that, you know, whenever I do leave it, I'm, I'm leaving it in a better place than I found it. Well, you've been so gracious with your time. I only have one final question, and this is an Iowa Wild podcast, so we do have to ask at least one Iowa Wild-related question. In the league office, I'd imagine that each team has somewhat of an identity within all the different minds of people who work in the league office. And I'm curious, as the broadcaster of a team who led the AHL in penalty minutes by a moonshot this year and last year, What's uh, g give us give us a candid look at what the Iowa Wild's reputation is like in the American Hockey League office? I thought this question might be coming. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I thought you guys were going to ask me about Richard. Um, That's coming but, too. Yeah. Don't worry. Oh, good, good. Um, I would say I was just known to be such a tough team. Like they're relentless, and um, you know I think everyone across the league knows that. That. Um, every night you're going to get their best effort. They're not going to quit. And um, and that definitely comes with a, a really hard-to-play-against uh, kind of approach. And you mentioned Richard Bachman, our goaltender's coach here. You have a little bit of history with him. Can you expand upon that? Yeah, so Richard and I went to high school together at Cushing Academy in Massachusetts. 
um, some of the best four years of my life too. Such a great place and uh, really a hockey school in that, you know, it's, it's produced so many unbelievable hockey players, including Richard. Um, but as a, as a high school kid, he was, he was just so nice and quiet and, you know, you never really had to worry about seeing him in the hallways. And there, there are certainly people there that you were like, oh, I don't want to walk past this person. <laughs> and, uh, and Richard was always so, so nice and, uh, and very humble. Um, but one of my favorite things about him too, is that he, you know, he came into the hockey program and was a backup goalie to start. And then to see the success that he had, uh, beyond high school and, you know, and, and professionally, um, he, he definitely had to work to earn all of that. And, um, and, you know, same thing with Connor Sherry, who was a, a JV player at Cushing Academy, um, his first year. So, um, those are some of my favorite stories about the, the guys that kind of came into a really tough, strong high school hockey program, um, and, and just kind of worked really hard to, prove themselves and uh, have success at the next level. Well, I would describe Bakker as loud, mean, and arrogant. So the National Hockey League <laughs> must have changed him a lot from when you knew him to how we know him. No, 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 no. Exact same person now. Bakker is a, tr a tremendous guy. Uh, th this has been tremendous, Haley. Uh, anything else, guys, before we, we call this a wrap? I think we're good. I'm all set. Yeah. Yeah. You've been great. Thank you awesome so much for your time. Haley, anything, oh, anything awesome. we missed? I don't think so. No, you guys are great. Very, uh, very well prepared. I'm impressed by all the research. So appreciate all the conversation. Haley, this has been wonderful. Uh, thanks for sh giving us a glimpse, glimpse of not only what it is you're doing now, but what it is that has, has brought you to this position and has made you the right person for the job. And um, we're looking forward to seeing the progress of your career and having you back out here to Wells Fargo Arena sometime this coming season. Awesome. One of my favorite arenas. I look forward to being back. And thank you guys. Giant thanks to Haley Moore uh, for giving us a lot of time there and giving us a great interview. Lots of great uh, info, lots of great tidbits in there from Haley. Really enjoyed it. I, I know we all enjoyed it. We got a nice cameo from Mitch there in that interview too. I know. I hope it'll be the last Posthumous time Mitch. you guys see yeah. Mitch on this on this podcast. You hear yeah. his voice, see his image if you watch on YouTube. So I hope you enjoyed the last of Mitch Courtney. I'm sure, I haven't talked to him too too much. He's been obviously super busy with free mm -hmm. agency and the draft and their development camp. But uh, I know he's just enjoying life in Buffalo. So. Yeah. It's good for him. Um, we we did want to talk about you. You mentioned at the beginning of the show waking up from your your nap this Friday afternoon to a text from me that all it said was "hot dog eating contest bet question mark" and it had you it actually perplexed. Had, it actually had three question marks. So I was I get really excited. I thought I yeah. was excited about the idea. So I was you know, bang bang bang. Yeah. Okay. So <laughs> I, yeah. I well, I'm I took a like I said. Half day Friday, it was nice to relax for a little bit. I had the dogs at daycare, so I didn't have chaos when I got home. It was nice to just relax, decompress for a little bit. I had one of those, you wake up and you're like, what year is it kind of naps? Oh, like, it was just a deep sleep. It was great. Oh, I kind of want to go home and take nice one and now. Close. Yeah, great. Right. And I wake up and I got this text message from Ben, and it says, yeah, like you said, hot dog eating contest, question mark, question mark, question mark. And I don't know what that means. And so I said we talked about it when we got here, but we briefly hit on it. So you want to do a bet with a hot dog eating contest. You said, yeah, losers got to do because we know our punishment for the next mm -hmm. one, which we're not sharing just yet. You said, oh, yeah, we'll do a hot dog eating contest. That's – as someone who is now a hot dog eating contest veteran, uh, 
that's a punishment for both both people as it is. So that might be something that we got to table or, or dig into a little bit more. But on that subject, we need to figure out that next bet. So we want to throw it to you guys, listeners, viewers, our fans, of which there are many. What uh, what should we do for a bet? What should our next fun little wager be between the two of us? I don't know. I again, I I had I had three and a half hours up, three and a half hours back. I I'd be lying if I said I spent you know the entirety of, of those seven hours thinking about bets. But I spent a good chunk of it racking my brain for what can we do. And of course, so much of it revolves around sports for us, and mm-hmm. that's, that might be the hard part. Is, is is in the sporting world? This is really the dog days. Oh, I've got it. I've got it. Light bulb just clicked. If you saw that in real time, that was great. This also wasn't. This is not fake. This isn't nope. acting. Okay, nope. so he has something. This is yeah. real. I got it. Monday, the eighteenth, home run derby for Major League Baseball. Now. There are eight competitors, so there's a lot to choose from. But maybe what we do here real quick, like on a spot, we pull up the field and we each take four. So someone's going to win and someone's going to lose, and we just pick a winner. Boy, this would – so no no research. We're just strictly picking – we're just picking right – we're picking right now. Yeah. We'll, okay, we'll pull up the field. Okay, let's pull what it up. we'll do is we'll it's it's bracket style, right? So we will rock paper scissors to see who gets the first pick or Marquise. Get a rock no, paper no, scissors no, on camera. No, we're bringing Marquise <laughs> in, and we're gonna have Marquise give us uh have us pick a number like one through five, and if you get it right, you get the pick, and we'll write this down somewhere. This is gonna be fantastic. All right, so Marquise has his headset. Here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna go through the whole the whole field here real quick. There's there's eight people eight. Uh, eight hitters, if you will, competing in the Home Run Derby on Monday. Uh, so by I guess by the time you hear this on Tuesday, you're going to know who's won and who's lost. So in a couple of weeks, get ready for our punishment. Punishment for this one is our next episode, I guess after this one, we're gonna the loser has to do the podcast in full hockey gear. Guest like, recording as well. Even guest if, recording yeah, yes. everything because sometimes we do the guests on a separate day than the intro and outro. Full hockey gear, and I'm talking helmet to skates everything and we'll make sure we got proof of it all uh and you gotta wear it it's it's i wouldn't say it's cool here in the locker room it's not it's not hot but it'll get warm very very quickly so that's going to be exciting so here's what we'll do a run through to determine how we want to do this or how we're going to pick since we'll go back we'll go matchup by matchup we each get four guys marquise who's got his headset on you're going to come up with a number let's say one to five right now Mm we'll try to pick who's got the number if whoever gets it will get their pick and then we'll kind of alternate through the rest of the matchups so you have a number in mind yes okay i will my idea you can pick first so wow. what's That's what's the number you got kind of you three that was not the number but joey you get a turn to pick well yeah it's whoever gets the number right of course yeah, I so that was, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah I, okay. he didn't get it so it's your turn <laughs> all right you strike me as a as a number five kind of guy. Not nope. Oh. One. Nope. There's two left, so. Two. Joey got a number <sighs> two. All right. It doesn't matter. I didn't want the first pick anyway. So this first matchup, we got Kyle Schwarber and Albert Pujols. All right. Well, hey, listen, as much as I would love uh, Albert yeah. to win, as, long as, as much as I would love the machine to win, he's not going to, and I'm going to take Kyle Schwarber. So give me that. Let's write this down we'll so we don't see. lose it. We'll see. We'll see. Don't want to lose it. All right. What's the next matchup, Marquise? 
two seed Pete Alonzo and seven seed Ronald Acuna Jr. I'll go with I'll go with Pistol Pete Alonzo. It's not not a bad pick. Is that That's his nickname? Uh, I no, don't know who his, this guy his is. His nickname is the Polar Bear. <laughs> he plays for the Mets. I kind of like Pistol going, Pete Alonzo. He is going for three straight home run derby crowns. Uh, this I mean, this guy just absolutely crushes. Glad I picked him. Baseball. Okay. He used to play in the uh, the Northwoods League where I interned at. Oh, oh really? Yeah. Yeah. A little fun fact out there. The Madison Mallards. Wow. <laughs> it's like the, the junior hockey of Major League I've baseball. been to a lacrosse loggers game before. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. that's Northwoods League. Okay, so we got I've got Alonzo. You've got Schwarber. Next, Marquise. Uh, three seed Corey Sager and six seed Julio Rodriguez. Uh, I'm going to go with the underdog here. I, I love like the that. kid. Julio Rodriguez, Seattle Mariners. As of right now, probably the front runner to win AL Rookie of the Year. So I'm here for Julio Rodriguez. I like how for your picks, you can tell us all these information. For me, I just come up with some stupid nickname and say, yeah, I'm going to go with that guy. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's one of those, hey, it's, we're, we're in the middle of the dog days of summer, and yeah. the only thing on right now sports-wise is baseball. So when you flip on ESPN, I got to watch sports there in the morning. That's what I do when I get ready to come to work. It's just baseball highlights, and these are the names that I hear all the time. So, yeah. <laughs> What's the next one? All right. Uh, the last matchup is uh, four seed Juan Soto and five seed Jose Ramirez. I'm going to go with – I like that you went with the underdog, Joey. I'm going to do the same. The, what's Ramirez's first name? Jose. Jose, Jose. Ramirez. First All right. Ever, no uh, way Jose is, is, so, is Soto beating Ramirez. Again, just come up with stupid nicknames. Yeah. Hey, I'm here for <laughs> it. Stupid plays on words. This, was, this, was, as, this was as fair as we could make the yep. picks. I love my picks. Hey, he has I, the first time ever, uh, first time ever appearance in the home run derby of a Cleveland Guardian. So yeah, that's this is true. Juan Soto He's got though, a lot at stake. Juan Soto is another guy though who absolutely hits bombs. So here's what we got: we we got four hitters on each side. Somebody's gonna win. Somebody is is gonna lose. So we're gonna have a podcast in full gear. Are we not going to finish the derby and pick a winner? It's just, it's just, it's just the first it's round. It's one of the, no, this one is of those, one of those eight oh, guys. Oh, I see. There's four okay. four. So okay. I've got Kyle Schwarber, Ronald Acuna, Julio Rodriguez, Juan Soto. Those are my four hitters. I don't think any of them are on the same side of the bracket. They, I mean, they are going to be on the same side of the bracket, whatever. Yeah. It doesn't um, matter. You've got Pujols, Alonzo, Seager, and Ramirez. So All the right. winner, winner of the derby does not have to have their, their host. Dressed in uh, full hockey gear for our next episode and recording. All right, this I'm excited for this one. For coming up with this quite literally on the spot, I really think it came together well. Yeah. Props to you. Yeah. Yeah. I like Kudos. the home run. Her, home run. It dip, is fun. Dip, 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 dip. Yeah. Home run derby. <laughs> <laughs> is, uh, is, is pretty fun. I enjoy watching it. Just I mean, baseball can be – I love baseball. I grew up playing. Baseball can be kind of slow and, and it can be boring at times. But who doesn't love – Watching guys just launch home runs, 450 feet, 475 feet, and it's a home run derby. They juice the balls up a little bit, so and it's in L.A. You're basically in Hollywood. It's gonna be a, it's gonna be a night on Monday. So I'm, I'm excited. excited. It, 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 you know what? It's exciting too for me is this this bet will now I I will watch this. I probably wouldn't have watched it previously, but now knowing that I have so much on the line, I will probably watch this. And Everybody listening to this is hearing it the day after the home run. So derby they're laughing airs. right now. So you're probably laughing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, Pete Alonso. He said, he said, he said, you know, oh, Pete Alonso hits bombs. Watch him. He may not hit many. You never know. He may set a record. I this is, I like this. I like. I yeah. like. All right. Yep. This and is we good. got to have Marquise put the headset on yeah. too, which is we'll great. get that more yeah. often. Though. Yeah, we'll I to, like it. We'll have to find ways to get producer Marquise worked in. 
I like it. Uh, we're not going to tease, uh, as we get to the end of our episode here, we're not going to tease a guest for next week because we've learned our lesson. We don't want to. We don't like apologizing to our fans. We'll on, have a on, guest. We, yes, we, we, we do have, we have guest options for, for the coming week, but we're not going to tease in case things change, schedules change. Um, so we're not going to tease who the guest is. But uh, per usual, uh, a big thank you to Jeremy Core and Executive Podcast Solutions for uh, doing all the back channel work and making sure that we can be heard, we can be seen. So thanks to Jeremy. Uh, and, of course, Explore Minnesota for presenting the show uh, to Marquise for not only editing the show, but Being now able to count to five. That too. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes. Good for you. Yeah. Yep. Yep. <laughs> uh, but, you know, joining a, a, as, as one of our, our co-hosts this week, always good to have uh, a third voice in here. And, and of course, to you um, and to Haley Moore. Uh, that was uh, the, big, the biggest thank you there for that time. A great episode. Final thoughts, Joey, before we put a pin in episode five. I hope whenever we take our next bus ride, we don't run into the same issues that Haley did and have the breakdown happen. Yeah. I, the, I, it was so funny when she goes, I think you can probably see it on, if you watch the YouTube, you can see my face when she says our coach didn't let us off the bus. I was aghast by that. I'm like, yeah. she made you stay on the bus for the whole time? I Yeah, I just, I, all of it was great. Thanks to Haley Moore um, and, and for everybody that made this podcast possible. Thanks to Joey. Uh, thanks to all of our listeners for tuning in. Uh, this has been Episode 5 of Riding the Bus, the official Iowa Wild podcast presented by Explore Minnesota. As always, why don't you uh, finish this one off, partner? Two honks for the win. Give it to me. And thanks for listening. <laughs>